Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. listening to District Durkas. Thank you for tuning in on our new time. So a Durka from Yemen, that's me, Sama, and a Durka from Algeria, Lilia. Aloha. We live in the District of Columbia and we get together every week to decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Our topics include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc. and all the prisms and schisms in between. I think today our topic might even touch on uh, just fidelity, Maybe. Fidelity. Uh, maybe. As in like within dating or fidelity in relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're actually going to talk about what we hear from our friends when they mention that they are dating a Durka. And by a Durka here, we mean a brown person. And in my case, it's an Arab. And in Lilia's Durka, case, Durka. Muhammad Jihad. Yeah, to me, a Durka is like anybody who's affiliated with being from the Middle East or North Africa or being Muslim or having a turban or looking from, you know, anywhere from Morocco to China. Well, so. China, China's a little... I mean, I'm just defining like the empire. Brown Chinese people. So, <laughs> so there's like one million Muslim in Before China. we talk about those experiences, we're actually going to talk about current events that made us kind of scratch our heads a little bit and want to share it with our audiences. And we're not going to talk about the, the press briefing that Trump had today with Emmanuel Macron, where he apparently talked about Syria and didn't really know why they were pulling out forces out of Syria why Americans wanted to get out. He kept on saying ISIS, ISIS, and, you know, that's nothing to do with the nuclear attack. Anyways, we're not going to get into that. I, I mean, think, I think the president no is wonder, a little bit confused. No wonder he doesn't know, you know, when to pull out. No means no. That doesn't seem to be a concept that he's integrated. No so. means no. I guarantee he could not find you Syria on a map. <laughs> no, he was so confused. And apparently... And I him, guarantee his wife cannot find something else on a map, but... Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. I really feel bad for her. Low blow. <laughs> Definitely under the belt. So we're actually going to start by talking about the van attack that occurred in Toronto. Yeah. Well, and you were telling me that your mom was saying something. Yeah, she was very... I mean, just like we, we talked about this last episode where we mentioned that every, t- every time something horrific like this happens as Durkas, we kind of hold our stomachs wishing that it's in no way another... Um, another attack that's linked to any of those radical groups and my mom i was on uh, with her on skype and then suddenly she she turns quiet her sister is calling something is happening in toronto and she's like i really i'm I'm so tired i i really hope this isn't one of those this is we're tired of this so i really like that you kind of took a pause there and you struggled to define what the attack was and i sent you an article today that i kind of had a really big issue with the way that they put the title 
Toronto Vanatak suspect charged with 10 accounts for murder. Police said Monday afternoon Vanatak in downtown Toronto definitely looked deliberate, but downplayed any potential connection to terrorism. The article goes in into saying how this is not terrorism, even though the man killed several people. I think they're 10 at this point. And he definitely wanted to terrorize people and drove his fan into people. Yet nobody wants to use the term terrorism because terrorism now is strictly used for brown people who are Muslims. And I think that's really, you know, the media and everybody has to be careful of that definition. I, I think I'd, I'm going to not play devil's advocate, but from my, and from my understanding is Canada wants to take a pause and decide and kind of identify the event for what it is before rushing into uh, calling it a terrorist, terrorist attack. They want to assess the guy, see if he has any... Like, I actually think this is the more responsible approach to investigate the event, to assess mm -hmm. the guy, and then sure, but instead I of rushing into some you know, fear-mongering campaign and putting the finger at you know, Muslim radical, I felt like the article was pushing, uh, despite evidence, towards... like kind of leading us into thinking this was a terrorist attack while well, it was not. Well, the problem is terrorist attack doesn't necessarily mean that you have ties to a bigger organization and that this is part of a... Actually, a, it does. Well, no, that's the thing. The it could be a lone wolf attack. And the we've heard that in the US where terrorism is just an act that terrorizes others. No, it needs to be linked to an ideology. You, you have to have like I a mean, bigger political where's agenda. Where's that definition? I think the problem is not just calling everybody a terrorist. It's just having the restraint not to call actions taken by like people who are um you know not part of terrorist organization and treat them as such instead of calling them terrorism so we won't solve it by just calling everybody a terrorist but rather be more cautious with the use of that i would love term. for them to start doing that approach when a brown person is committing the crime we don't, not know, an we don't know where medicine. he's from i mean his right. name sounds very alec like, medicine but if he was browner then i feel like the headlines would have been very his name is Manision. For all I know, he's Persian or Armenian. That sounds no, like Middle Eastern. You know, I'll tell you something. There's another attack that happened in, in the U.S., and that's at the Waffle House, and it's a white guy who went in and shot people of color, mostly, mostly Hispanics yes. and black people. And that, again, is being, you know, we've talked about this. If it's a white guy, it's mental illness. If it's a brown person, it's terrorism. And again, we're falling into that trap. I don't think he's, we don't know if he's white or brown. But I know that this has to do with Canada. The Waffle House was a Canada white guy. Canada has a way more cautious approach when it comes to these things. And at least they're giving the moment the benefit of the doubt instead of going crazy with, you know, linking it to ISIS but prematurely. But do you think Canada would do that if he was darker? I think that's what they're doing. I really don't think this is a white guy. I will counter this but attack. But he's physically, like, the, the photo of him, he, he's light. His name is Sion. His name tells me Middle East. Right, but nah. the, the photo, again, I'm like, if this guy was darker... And God forbid wearing a turban or something. Yeah. I feel like I've, even Canada would still jump to the I table. feel like Justin Trudeau has been like on the non-alarmist side of... I think Justin Trudeau is just... Dealing with these stories. And like a white guy struggling to be nice. Yeah, I think that, he's not struggling. It. I think he's successfully having I, I distinction really, and discernment. Not at all. And he's trying not to play the game of branding everything a terrorist attack to get, you know people panicking and then certain communities get affected or victimized or stigmatized. Well, I'm going to actually, you know, that question, Jack, that you brought up about whether Canada would call that person a terrorist or not. We're going to, we're, I'm going to bring it up in the segment right after this, but you know, we talked about the van attack 
we also saw something else in the headlines that we wanted to talk about. And it was an article that Lilia passed on. And it was about wrestling. Oh, wrestling. I was like, where? <laughs> so a little context. Um, when I was a kid and living in Spain, TV was very boring because I was learning Spanish. So there was nothing for me. Everything. But we had a few American channels. And there's one it thing. It was dubbed, right? It was all dubbed to no, Spanish. No, it wasn't dubbed. We had like a few American channels. And you don't need to know the language to understand the WWF. And every Wednesday... It was WWF Wednesdays. My mom made us hot dogs, and that was it. And my favorite, favorite, all-time favorite was The Undertaker. Anyway, oh, the my <laughs> God, yes. So The Undertaker has been uh, in retirement. I mean... He's, he's retired. He's retired, but he's shown up. He's actually um, responded to the challenge of John Cena, I think a couple weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. This is this is a very interesting side to you that I honestly did not see coming. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry. Damn. So the, the Undertaker. Undertaker's theme song, Samad. This I is like see. very iconic. The wow. Undertaker's <laughs> next match against Rusov is happening in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Ah. Uh, I know. You were talking about things that make us like scratch our heads. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be an all-male audience, you think? That's a good question. I really find it hard to see how they're going to be able to, like, are women going to be in one section? And well, the, the men women wrestlers can't join. Well, so, like, um, Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey are both WWE wrestlers. They're not allowed to come on this trip. Well, they'd have to cover wow. up first before yeah. they start beating no, each they other. No, just, they just can't. <laughs> so, they're not coming on the trip. It's just, like, the and, pool. And Triple H is the guy that's throwing it, and he says, you know, he's hoping it's going to be a catalyst for change. But, I mean, I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, since last week, since, you know, AMC kind of opened its doors and played Black Panther in Saudi Arabia, there's been a huge wave of marketing of how Saudi Arabia is going to kind of be part of the mainstream media. And I feel like that's kind of part of it. You know, bring mainstream American television to the Middle East, you know, make it relevant there. But if it doesn't come with the women and with the progress, then really you're just, it's, it sounds like a it's bribe. A like you're, you're giving enough money to get somebody yeah. out of retirement to come wrestle in Jeddah for your own entertainment under your own conditions. Like this to me is money speaking. So let me read you the quote from Triple H who's throwing the event. He says, you can't dictate to a country or religion about how they handle things. But having said that, WWE is at the forefront of a woman's evolution in the world. And what you can't do is affect change by staying away from it. Right now, women are not competing. We've had discussions about that, and we believe and hope in the next few years they will be. That's a significant cultural shift in Saudi Arabia. So is that bullshit, or, I mean... I mean, it's a nice introduction. But at the same time, you know, rather than women fighting, I'm kind of curious if women can even attend these things altogether. Can they go and sit in the audience? Can they choose to participate by, you know, not participating in the fight directly, but can they buy tickets? Can they drive? And it's a pay-per-view. Can they use their card without the authorization to Families you know, and men can be attended, uh, can be in attendance. Women are only allowed to watch the show from the King Abdullah Sports City, which okay. I'm guessing is a venue that's remote, not the actual location. venue. Right. They can see it on a TV, so maybe somewhere else. You know how the family rule works in those parts of the world? Like, they tried to do that in Yemen for a while, and a family section means that it's kind of closed off. And there are restaurants here in D.C. and Virginia that do that rule, where if it's a conservative restaurant, they would have a family section. 
And what they do is if you go in and you're a man with, you know, what looks to be like your wife and your children, then they give you a table in the corner and then they kind of put these kind of wall dividers to kind of block you and give you privacy from everybody else. It's like the smoking and non-smoking section. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like that. I think families, like as long as there's a male chaperone to make sure that you're not going to, you know, misbehave or have someone kind of harass you. Like, the, you know, the idea is the way they present it to women in the Middle East is that we are here to protect you. We love you. We care about you. So we have to keep our eyes on you. But on the other end, it's like, oh, so I'm treated like a child forever you know like i am passed from my family to my husband to just constantly be chaperoned um and so i think i think it's a start it's a good start you know they have to kind of phase it into society not to scare anyone but yeah for now it's a continuation but change might be coming from not too far actually jordan who's giving us the first arab to um, integrate the world wrestling entertainment. Hell yeah. Yes, her name is Shadia Seiso. And she's a jujitsu, you know, I don't know. She's just started. Jujitsu is huge in Jordan. Yes, okay? it is. I, we actually know someone. Yeah, we yes, do know. Mitchell, Mo that, is a jujitsu yes, champion yes. and he competes in New York and he's amazing. Really? Yeah. I never guessed that. And it's yeah, funny because she only started in 2014. So how strong is this woman that in four years she can't I mean, there are ways to, like they know how to supplement, they know how to work out, they're conscious of their eating, you know, they're just saying four years is a you know, to be the first something something at something that is so yeah, prestigious. Yeah, but think think of Jordan, like there Props. are women who are playing soccer who are participating in sports. Like she didn't probably come out of a vacuum. Like there's probably a sportsmanship in her background. But I think she was a TV host before that. Jiu-jitsu is huge yeah. in Jordan. And it's kind of, you know, because it's so huge there, it's kind of piqued my interest into the sport a little bit. And it's kind of an, a nice discipline. Yeah, you'll find that anyway. What, what is that? No, no, I was <laughs> going to say no, but I just, you know, that's... If you look at these countries, like a lot of them start becoming good at boxing and martial arts. It's kind of a global phenomenon, you know, like some aggression to work out, but in, in a productive in a productive way, like you can observe this phenomenon. Any country that's treated like a minority or a minority in a country, that's kind of a, mm -hmm. it's an outlet. So, yeah, it's so an outlet. let's move on to our last current event of the week, which is something that happened in Canada. So apparently this young boy who looks white and tweezes his eyebrows, who is of Algerian descent. Why did you say Algerian descent? You don't even know that. He's Canadian. No, it actually like says You're that. leading the subject here. He's a murderer. And He's, that's he, all he is, is Canadian. Yes. And that Born is and what raised. the article says, is that he is of Algerian descent. No. Yes, it does say One that. One article that there's no proof. Of, he's Canadian, born and raised. Okay. Well, besides the fact that his name is also Arab. It's not Arab. His name is Arab. No, it's Algerian. Sure. It's Canadian. He's, he's oh, from okay, Canada. Okay, okay. Algerian Canadian. He's not Algerian Canadian. He's fully Canadian. Where was he born? Anyways, mm -hmm. the article talked That's about how this it new killer who actually, to me, sounds like a really confused young man. What's who, his name? So here, let me pull it up. Uh, do you want to explain what happened while I look up his name? Well, what happened is something actually, unfortunately, very common where a girl saying no can translate it to her death. He was basically trying to seduce this... How old was she? She was uh, 17? Like, no, she was older. She was like 21 or so. 
she was 21 and she rejected his advances and it ended up very tragically um well her name was also like she's she was, also a darka i think she's i don't know where she's from her I last know. name to is me they're canadian Al-Deep. So. nadia Al-Deep yes is her name so that's oh so the the guy's name is batahar is his last name and his first name he actually his name is uh abdul rahman but he goes by adam so that's quite the Durka name <laughs> but um the news says that you know he she rejected him they used to be dating at some point one night she was out he lured her into the car and then no one can really know what conversation they had she ended up being stabbed 40 times and then she was shot and it is a horrific crime but what really piqued my interest was that I looked up a video of the reporting of this incident and I realized right away that you know I sent it I sent it to Lilia and Lilia then responded back with a very similar incident that happened in Pennsylvania America where an American citizen did the very same thing actually the same he used to date this girl and then they broke up and then one one day he came back to her and he proposed to her she said no and he rejection they don't yeah, know how to he handle rejection gouged her eyes out he decapitated her like he mass he slaughtered her but this got no like this was barely news no, it wasn't news and i i feel like the comments under it were just like oh my god what a horrific crime our prayers on our hearts are you know with her family etc cetera, etc cetera. while the other incident was actually it had comments like an arab killing an Arab, God good riddance. like good riddance. Uh, oh, this is what they know. This is their culture. Uh, this is just exactly how they are. Why are we allowing them into Canada? It was all these incidents. But if you read about both of them, they are Canadians. And especially the girl, the victim, was born and raised there. And her sister just dresses very normally and talked about her sister, not as a Durka, but as a Canadian citizen who was a victim of violence and you know to me i was just kind of it's insane you know we're trapped in this box you know you have stereotypes to people and we're trapped in this box that if somebody commits a crime it's part of their heritage it's part of their culture and it's not just some sort of freak incident that is horrifying to anyone regardless of their background and i think this is going to bring us to our main topic of today which is what we hear from people when they say that they dated a person from the middle east Shit, I, hopefully not this. <laughs> well, to be honest, you know, growing up, uh, physical violence is kind of more common than it is here in the States. In How the do sense. you know that? No, what I'm saying, can you let me finish my sentence? Well, why don't yes, we take can, a break and then we can really get into this topic? Yeah. Um, okay. I do have to just say... Algerian native is how the mother is credited. I am not seeing any news outlet crediting him as an Algerian. Ha. Huh. So, <laughs> with that, let's take a quick break and come right well, thank back. thank you. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hi everyone, you're listening to District Durka's Live. Durka Durka, Muhammad Jihad. 
We are recording at Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel. A Durka from Yemen, that's me, Sema, and a Durka from Algeria, that's Lilia. Aloha. We live in the District of Columbia, and we get together every week to decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Our topics include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc., and all the prisms and schisms in between. So right before the break, we talked about current events that kind of made us scratch our head and topics that we wanted to talk about. And our last topic was about a crime committed between two Durka looking people who, you know, it occurred in Canada. A boy ended up stabbing his ex-girlfriend and killing her. And right now we're kind of bringing this forward into our main discussion, which is what people tell us when they tell us they dated a Durka. And here I'm kind of going to specify a gender. Uh, we can also talk about the other gender, but just typically girls telling me what their experience was when they dated a man from the Middle East. And I kind of want to start by saying that I think it's a problem in the Middle East that men don't get reprimanded enough for domestic violence. And that is something that bothers me because I think it sends the message that it's sometimes okay. I've heard horrific stories growing up. Some stories involve crimes that begin within families. Everybody knows that it's not okay. I just think that men, especially those who are wealthy and of higher upper classes, don't get reprimanded enough for it. And I think because of that, it might send a message that it's okay. And I, you mean, I want to talk about your friends. What do they say when they say they... I don't do know. I feel like what you said can be applied to any place in the world. I, I just think in terms of law is what I'm saying. So. There aren't enough laws in place that are applied to reprimand um, like men, especially in the Gulf area. And I'm going to be more specific okay. about that. Because in some areas, it's easier than others. It's There's like... There are more laws that are upholded, but in the Gulf, it's kind of, they turn a blind eye to it. And I, I think growing so closely to the Gulf, you see a lot of that. Here I thought we were talking about dating. Yeah. And now we're talking about domestic abuse. You know, I, I have, have like no numbers. I have we to need sneak statistics. It in. <laughs> Just saying, like, we need statistics for this. Like, this is, I can well, tell let's you. Let's talk about dating. What have your experiences been like? Have you dated, you know, Durka men? Oh, I, I was married to one. Yeah. And so. it didn't end well because I thought I picked someone who is slightly different and by that I mean someone who's not very traditional who's modern who's progressive and then after we got married I realized that he is in fact progressive and different for himself but not for women not for you yeah. not for women in his family mm-hmm. and I actually found out that men of higher classes tend to get away with stupid things like that while I think men of middle class and lower classes are more open to change and Ooh, diversity. Is that because they're more like, I don't want to use the word desperate, but you know, like it is because they can't afford to be No, I, so I don't think they have that sense of entitlement. Oh, okay. I think the, the privileged ones are just like, I am going to get this cookie cutter wife and she's going to fit my mold and I'm going to make her be that because I have been fed with a silver spoon all my life. 
But don't you think that's true for American men as well? Absolutely. And actually... That's patriarchy. No, but this yeah, is... this is like men thing. everywhere. I think this is the lesson that I learned is, you know, coming out from a divorce with a Durka, I was like, oh my God, I would rather date any other race. This was a bad experience. Race doesn't exist. Well, that was me before <laughs> where I was like, I would rather and, date Yeah, and then you found out. People. Yes, and then I started dating other non-Durka people and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Ooh, fuck men. boys are everywhere. Hello. <laughs> Yes, Sorry. <laughs> I, I had exactly that kind of moment. I did not see it coming. As a matter of fact, when I was younger, I had a, a friend of my mother's that always told me, she's like, do not marry an Arab. Do not marry an Arab. And then I was like, you know what? I'd kind of, at this point, rather marry an Arab. At least we share a language. We, you know, there's things in common. And then I leave it up to my good judgment and bad experiences now to filter through the F boys, you know? Yeah, I'm actually going to argue that... I mean, coming here, I had a true cultural shock with the dating scene, even though like most of my dating happened in the US. But still, I'm going to argue that a lot of the dating, um, like the tactics, the structures, the system of it is very archaic for all the progressiveness and all the discourse. Like when you're in it, it's really, it's led by men. They decide, it's like, You go through so many rounds when you like someone. It's almost like talks, like the Kyoto talks on like climate change. And then they decide whether you're seeing or hanging out or dating, if it's serious. And you constantly have to have something that I absolutely hate, the talk. Why ruin everything with the freaking talk about everything? It's like, if it's working, it's working. If it's not, it's not. So you have to always remove yourself from any charm of something working by dismantling it and having the talk about who are we where are we heading what is this it's like you know what it is so it's this content like false idea of choice but it's really led by men and when they're ready to settle down i see that in general which is a horrible word post-divorce i actually befriended a few girls that were extremely fierce and extremely strong and had an extremely strong sense of awareness and i think that If women come out as those strong actors, they can actually dictate what happens in their lives. Like, I've definitely learned a lot from them. And I know that my life now, I dictate what happens to me and whom I encounter. And it has to be on my terms, not, you know, or shared terms or mutual terms. I will never have a lower hand again. But look at D.C. Like, look at the demographics in D.C. There are more women than there are men. So is that true? Yeah. Yeah, and mm. a lot of the men are gay in DC too. In my campus it was like five girls to one guy. So the whole um Dawson's Creek, Joy Potter, like breaking the hearts of two. It's always like here they love writing about how Now it's polyamorous relationships. You know, like women are breaking two thing. guys' heart, but really it's women competing for men here. It's not the it's not the other round. Like there's no Joey Potter syndrome. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that is like a little taboo and I mean it in the nicest way. I always grew up thinking that white women were freer than other women. And I think my experience in the United States, especially when I see girls dating, I think that they're extremely nice. They never say no. Or when they do, it's very, it's a very nice way and polite way that's non-hurtful of saying no. And again, I'm not, I don't want to generalize at all. But I think that I've discovered, like, not all white women are actually free in their dating processes. Like, I've seen a lot of girls who 
accept having these men that are like privileged that are telling them what to do the girls do what they want to do but they just don't talk back and i think that's very do you have like a specific me, example yeah it threw me off guard and, and by that i mean there was this guy who's like totally totally spoiled and he dated this very nice girl like to the point that she was like a saint and he would get away with going out, getting stupid drunk, um, hugging other girls, sleeping outside. And she would always just kind of brush it off. And she would protect them when she was around. And she took all of that. I mean, ultimately, they ended up breaking up. And I just saw that she tolerated so much that I think a woman from my hometown would have just like automatically yelled at this guy and like just like destroyed his ego by yelling at him. I mean, him. that girl exists everywhere in the world. And so does that boy. I know, but I think that's it, just it's like this, a, this idea. That's of a personality threat more yeah, than it is cultural. I was going to say, a lot of this is personality driven. I'm wondering what the cultural things are. I mean, like when you compare yourselves to other women that are not coming from your background, where do you think those differences lie? If anything, from an outsider perspective, I would say the two of you are some of the strongest women that I've met in this city. So and I, think I think that's this is, interesting. And yet dating here, like, totally broke me i wasn't ready for that really because I, I meet a lot so, of people who say that i'm extremely intimidating and i like that because yeah that's cool but in the end like you really feel like you're auditioning a part when you date here it's like an audition it's like when you say you, here you mean dc or you yeah, mean, I mean in the DC States? because i only know i'm not that's gonna, our experience that's yeah. my experience yeah, in yeah. dc having like this asymmetry in the demographics like having more women than men and that's my experience is I, I, even the the format of a date is to me feels very awkward to uh, agree on a meeting and it's so formatted it's is either a dinner and a cinema or a thing and you ask each other's question i've only that done that that doesn't even exist anymore what once. do you think that experience is like in algeria for somebody your age you just meet someone and if you like them there's chemistry and then you end up talking and it it flows it, it's not uh, there's no so you think it's more awkward and conventional here maybe i mean there there's another awkwardness about it which is not awkward it's just something that i my again only my personal experience but i feel like over there you're there's courtship like you're wooed and then you decide whether you want to go out the, the guy or not. And here I felt like you have to audition because there's so many women, everything is so open that it's these rounds of... May, until I, the guy, may I say the experience so, of my country, which is a little bit... Like it's definitely way undereducated. Which is and Yemen for first-time poor. listeners. Yes, it's Yemen and it's, it's a very conservative, traditional place. At this age, you better be married. You better have a first child, let alone like two, three children. If you're not married by the age of 27, they start looking at you like you're a spinster. Something is wrong with you. And a lot of the marriages are set up uh, in the sense that it's based on economic class or based on, you know, as you get older, they start to treat you as desperate. So then you become a second or a third wife and you marry a widower. Um, and it's very unfair in that regard. But what's interesting about Yemen is actually in the past 10 to 20 years, a lot of girls got married young, got divorced and are remarrying a second, third time. So it's becoming, the way they treat marriage is a lot more like serious relationships. You know, the marriage is taken very lightly and it's, a, it's just a way to kind of make your sexual intercourse kind of legal and fair in the eyes of God kind of thing. Um, 
So in that regard, I feel like dating in the Middle East in a more conservative part of the world like Yemen, it involves a lot of talking on the phone, which is really... You mean like texting here? Texting and and talking on the phone at night. You know, if you go, if you guys go to Dubai, for example, I always notice that the locals or Emiratis there always walk around in malls with a headphone plugged in. And they walk around talking on the phone the entire time. They're probably talking to their sweetheart or a girl that they like or a girl that they think they're going to be with. And I think a phone call is a really good introduction in that part of the world to like getting to know someone. Because if you can sweet talk her and if you guys can hit it off on the phone, then you'll hit it off on other like in other ways. And so I wish I wish dating there was more like you go to dinner, you actually experience some real part of life as opposed to a hypothetical situation. There are long texting communications here as well. So do you know about matchmallows? Any of you? Matchmallows. (laughs) This is like the Middle East's answer to Tinder. Oh, I know Tinder exists in Algeria. My brother uses it. There's also you know what exists all over the Middle East? Hinge. Is that what it is? The gay dating app? Like, it, it shows you a map. I don't know. It's, it's this dating app where it's a map of where you are, and it shows you X's of where gay men are. And that is oh, interesting. all over the Middle East. Well, so this, this app, Matchmallows, Match is a weird name. <laughs> so the difference from Tinder is that photos are optional. Because, oh, uh, yeah, w- w- <laughs> women in the Middle East are intimidated by the idea of putting the photos online. So... That's an interesting thing that probably opens up a lot of room for scamming and catfishing. Yeah. Yes, because the minute a girl likes a guy and actually sends him a photo of herself, even if that photo is, is covered up and it's just her face, that can be grounds for like blackmail. The ultimate Well, my filter. point is that you probably got male scammers sending fake photos oh, of fake women to all definitely. these other dudes and getting money from them somehow, and I'm sure that's a thing. I mean, I think it happens worldwide where, you know, you get an email. I mean, I get this to my email. It's a spam where I get like a Russian name and she's like, hey, sweetheart, can you for blah, blah, blah. You mm-hmm. can, you know, you know, what's interesting is I think now in the Middle East, specific Arab girls are making people pay money to see their Snapchat stories so that they get to see them in wow. their like normal life. Oh, wow. They found a cash making, you know, I think it's kind of like a win-win <laughs> peep show. Yeah, it's kind of... It's so there's also lovehabibi.com. Oh, that sounds That's awful. That's so cheesy. Mm-hmm. That sounds disgusting. Habibi. That's like the first word that a lot of people learn. Habibi. Hmm. Have you seen those girls on YouTube? Always, there's always this thing in America that I saw a few years ago where you go on YouTube and there's a young girl who's like 16, 17 tops who's like, I dated an Arab and a Muslim and she would like throw a few Arab words in there and she'd be like, no, they're not like this and he's amazing and we, like, it's like a defense of her relationship with this person and how oh she's going to convert to Islam and is everything is great. Men probably want, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's, this is the problem. I think women enable women in the wrong way sometimes. I think sometimes some women don't realize they're in the wrong. Um, and so with that thing, I think, yeah, she's good job. I mean, I don't know. So to, to circle back to the kind of origin of the segment, do you have advice for anybody that is dating or maybe starting to consider dating. I do. 
I, do you have any? You're mm, like, no. <laughs> no, no. To me, this is like a conversation. I'm still not over the whole like having a conversation about being exclusive or not. Like, what is that? <laughs> Why must everything be spoken? I think, I think with Durkas, with Durkas, it's the other way around. I think with you Durkas, know? they want to be exclusive. Like, I think there's always... What I mean is some things are better left unsaid that's the whole charm of getting to know someone and liking and hear everything has to be said all the time yeah well good luck with that business deal i think okay so here's the thing that's true my tips for people dating durkas make sure that the person you're dating understands the difference between ownership and love they're not the same oh come hold on big when someone gets rejected not just with Durkas this is important in general I think that a lot of times especially men from conservative parts of the Middle East make sure specifically the Gulf a lot of the women are hidden there they're told what to do they keep you know they're told to cover up because they're with their men understand that that's ownership that's not love that's not care that's oh you're talking about like over there yes like when someone from the Middle East comes here and they're telling you how to dress how to look, where to put your gaze, who to talk to. I mean, the people who come here probably come from like... That is ownership. That is not love. You don't want anyone to do that to you. Number two, I would say, look at that person, see who he hangs out with. And by that, I mean, is it just his family members? Are they only people who speak his language? If that is the case, know what his family's traditions are and what his country's beliefs are, because that's probably what he believes. Um, if it's a more urban person, they would have friends from all walks of life and you two can actually should have the conversation of what he thinks a relationship is like. Um, I think the last thing I would add is, uh, and this is something that I've heard a lot actually from a lot of friends of mine. They're like, oh, I dated this guy for like 10, eight years. And then at the end, he went back to his home country and married a girl from there. And I think that's something that upsets a lot of girls, especially it happens. This is like part of Durka on Durka crime, where a guy even goes back to marry a girl from his same village from where his parents are from and refuses to interact with other Durkas. And I Wouldn't think you say that happened the other way around. I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah, because white dudes are always trying to date other women. And then at the end of the day, they're like, um, I married somebody from the suburb of Pennsylvania. I grew up. Yeah, I got a lot of crap for being Algerian and, and dating here. Like, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it's like, but does she celebrate Christmas? So it goes, you know, Yeah, it definitely both goes ways. both ways. I think all cultures are tempted by the idea of just, like, ending up with somebody that grew up the same exact way they yeah. did. And I think I think it's not just cultures attempted that way. I think and so many un- People comfort zone. Like, what? they have a hard time understanding an opposite or a different person. Like, the terminology. Like, I didn't know what hanging out m- meant. I was asked the first, first, first time. I was like, okay, let's hang out. But hanging out didn't mean hanging out. It what, meant what putting it? out, which oh, that's yeah, even no. another word that's like so vague. And then when I didn't, and I came back the next day thinking everything was all right, the person just looked at me and were like, um, I just thought you were a nice piece of ass, and that Ooh. didn't happen. Well, so, you know, this is, this is the thing about <laughs> hanging out with guys sometimes. If you're an attractive girl like Lilia, I think if you're one-on-one with a guy, some guys will just kind of in their mind think, you know, I'll take a chance. I'll take a shot and see where it goes. I think these are just codes. Like, once you understand the codes, then you can kind of do it a la carte. But a code book, huh? It doesn't always... <laughs> No, they're codes like seeing, hanging out, blah, blah, blah. But, but once, here's where having a conversation know, is know, helpful. Because that's dating like in general. You're, you're never, there's not going to be like a wisdom. Devil's advocate, here's where having an honest conversation is helpful by being like, hey, up front, you're my friend and I just want to hang out with you as a friend. 
kills, yeah, but I didn't. kills the whole romance. No, but that's, that's the what th- they call the but, friend zone. But that's the thing. <laughs> no, because I did like him. But, but you I, just weren't ready for that right yes. away. Yeah, no, of course. And I thought this was okay. But apparently it wasn't because I was just I mean, a nice piece of us. these are issues that ex- exist across all exactly. cultures. Yeah. So with that, maybe we should move into... Orientalism next- expressed. So it looks like we got Law & Order this week, yeah? Yeah, so I love Law & Order. I love Olivia Benson. SVU is about sexual crimes. Yeah, sometimes I feel like they, like if you are a criminal and you enjoy that kind of stuff, like the first five minutes of Law & Order is... A thrill. So they need to be uh, careful of that. Just no. say. I love I love the format of Law and Order. I love the dun dun and I love how iced tea is in it. You know, that's that's really what I like. Um and Olivia Benson is a character that, you know, Mershka Hargitay plays her and it actually translated into her real life where she became uh, an advocate for, yeah. for, you know, kind of uh, victims of crimes. And I think what she does is great, especially, do you know who her mom is? And I always forget the name. There's this like... Mariska Gettai, Mariska Gettai, Her mom is that, there's a photo of like these two ladies. Oh my God, I have to pull up who her mom is because her mom is super famous. I think it's Mariska Gettai, but I probably am butchering the name. Mariska Hargitay? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Mershka Hargate. Her <laughs> name was part of a song. Uh, you know the guy who always uh, the Austin Powers. You know how he yeah, has like yeah, the. Yeah. Her name was part of a song that he did with Justin Timberlake, where they just go like Mershka Hargate. Hmm. Anyways, I don't know why I know. Well, thing. let's play the clip from this show. Uh, we're not exactly sure what this clip will be, but this should <laughs> illustrate something. Any of these? No. 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 We think she's from somewhere in the Middle East, maybe Israel. Uh Uh-uh. Wait, wait, Elliot, look at this. Amir. Amir Nafisa, 23, School of Journalism, Post Office Box. That zip code looks like the East Village. She's from Afghanistan. Emergency notification, Dayud Tarsi, East Village. We need to fax much that photo ID. Damn, in the picture, like she's like a you know pretty young Darcy. woman, and yeah, clearly they're like ooh Afghanistan. So what's interesting about that show is that they actually pick out she's supposed to be the daughter of a diplomat, like an elite diplomat, and she went to Harvard, and they find her kind of like burned and assaulted, and they start thinking, oh my god, it's a hate crime, and towards the end of the episode, it turns out that the person who killed her is her brother because she wanted to be with a non-Durka. And so her, her crime was that she didn't want to marry someone of her own kind and she disobeyed her family and so they just burnt her in, these, in, in like New York City. And what I think is extreme is that they picked like diplomats, which are usually like probably like of all, like they're more educated, they're yeah, more liberal. Yeah, and then the guy, the father and the family go under like diplomatic protection. So they try to kind of capture them and everything. Wow. And they can't get them. So it was kind of like a complex episode. But there was another episode on SVU that was about a Muslim lady who was trying to see a Jewish man and she was killed and they thought that the person who killed her is her husband. Um, And then it turns out that it wasn't. But that's the first assumption too. And I think that these kind of stories, like, yeah, there are parts, there are specific stories in the Middle East where things like this happen. Would it happen on that scale in the US? Probably not. We wouldn't know that. 
I, I mean, I no, you know, actually there were stories in Michigan uh, where there's a huge air population in Dearborn where some girls have been kind of attacked by their families for not obeying, but they tend to be of like immigrant status, um, not diplomatic missions kind of thing. But I think ultimately is like in every culture, there is femicide. Yes. So femicide. So anyways, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring it back to this. Jane Mansfield is Mershka Hargitay's mother. Hey. Yeah, so you wouldn't guess Pedigree. that. Pedigree. So anyways, for those who are listening in, our Orientalism Express segment is brought every week and we discuss a popular clip from media. And this week, our episode was about SVU and a hate crime committed by a Pakistani family against their daughter. And, um, and the obsession I've, with honor killing, something about honor killing really think, resonates in the American pop culture. I think they're fascinated by it's it. It's foreign. So. They're fascinated by it. Because I never heard of honor killing until... I don't think it's that <laughs> foreign. Have you guys read in the news foreign about American... in their imagination. American you know? tribalism. Have you read this headline? It's all over the place right now. American tribalism politics. Tribalism in American politics. I, they're coming back to these notions that have been like they're there in society everywhere. They're just modernized in some shape or form. And so I think maybe the fascination is that they can relate to it on some level, but they don't go that far. Yeah. yeah. So thank you guys for listening in. Yeah, we need to get my brother on the show because when I get cranky, he asked me to go get it on. So we need to dispel a little of that um, brother intervention. I oh. guess it was an intervention, just not the, the killing type. I would love my brother to be on the show, too, because so. he's, he's awesome. <laughs> and he probably would dispel a lot of ideas, too. He's the, actually one of the best people I love to hang out with um, and not your kind of hanging out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, That was wow. cool. Just like give me a second <laughs> Just date. Have to be Dare I say date. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. This is District Durkas. We'll see you next week. Come surf back with us on Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>